The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Good morning again, church. It's good to be with y'all this Sunday morning. This past couple weeks, we actually have started a new series entitled Dirty Faith. And so if you haven't uh, caught one of those sermons, you were out or something like that, uh, please visit our Facebook page and YouTube and and go back and watch those first three sermons and uh, just to get caught up and just for the sake of blessing your own soul with God's word. And so we will continue uh, that series this morning. And if you have God's word, maybe a Bible or a phone, I want to ask you to meet me in James chapter 1, starting in verse 19. James chapter 1, starting in verse 19 to 27. And if you don't have uh, a Bible, I'm sure it'll be on the screen behind us. But this is James chapter 1, verses 19 to 27. Hear God's word. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, He is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And if anyone think he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your living word that you've been so kind to preserve for us so that we may hear from you. And I pray, God, I I know, myself included, coming into church with uh, busy things that's occupying my heart and my mind, distractions, slight discouragement, I pray you will speak to us and give us the focus, the attentiveness to listen, to respond, and obey. And we commit this time to you, O oh Lord, and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I, I didn't always like wearing seatbelts, and uh, bear with me. Don't be quick to judge, but let me explain myself. Uh, I, I remember growing up as a kid, and I, I looked up to my older brother. He's eight years older than me, so, I mean, I, I just thought he was it. I wanted to dress like him. I wanted my hair to look like him. I want to talk like him. I mean, the dude was just my idol. So I remember, you know, he's my older brother, and of course, he was able to drive before me, and 
He used to take me places around, going to the store and uh, going to the mall. And I remember sitting in the passenger seat, sometimes in the back seat. And I used to look at my brother driving. He, he just had this swag about himself. Like, the seat was kind of leaned back a little bit, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, he, you know, he drove with his, his arm hanging out, and he didn't have a seatbelt on. All the while, the seatbelt indicator is beeping, like, put your seatbelt on, put your seatbelt on. But I just admired that swag about it, and I thought to myself, hey, when I get my license, I'm going to be just like him. And so, uh, kids, don't take, don't, just, just, just stick with me on the story, please, where you'll see, but I'm going somewhere with this. But when I was uh, of age to, to get my permit and my driver's license, of course, I followed all the rules, 10 and 12. I had my seatbelt on, and I was able to pass my driver's test. I eventually got my car, and what did I do? I had the seat back. <laughs> I was driving with my arm hanging out, and I ain't wear seatbelts. I just... For, for me, I felt like it was, it, was, it was crippling my swag in a sense. You know, when you wear seatbelts, it kind of create that awkward wrinkle, you know, on your shirt. So I was just fooling myself. And so I'm like, that's going to cramp my style. So it wasn't until years later when I got married. And Ebony, she started to pick, she started to notice that a few months into our marriage. She said, Ortez, I, I noticed you, you don't wear your seatbelt often. I said, yeah, I mean, it's, it ain't my thing, you know. And she said, I hear what you're saying, but you're going to start wearing your seatbelt. I was like, yes, ma'am. And I clicked that thing on. And I've been wearing my seatbelt ever since. <laughs> Thanks, Ebony. I don't know where she, she is. <laughs> but the thing about it, yeah, I was a knucklehead. And it took me several years to say, you know what? It's not just about getting a ticket. Uh, it's not just about keeping a crisp, clean shirt. It's about my life. <laughs> I mean, there's laws to preserve my life. And you're probably asking, how does this connect with our text today? You see, brothers and sisters, I know it may not be a seatbelt for you, but for a lot of us, our hearts can be rebellious towards helpful instruction, helpful laws that's, that's put into place to preserve our life. And instead of looking at these helpful instructions as if they're a necessity, we look at them as optional. You know, maybe I'll get to it. Maybe I'll consider it. We, we start to rationalize our way and, and make excuses. And we translate this, this heart, this mindset into our spiritual lives and our relationship before God. You see, God's Word gives us plenty of instructions, but because of our rebellious, wicked heart, we approach God's word as if it's optional. When I get to it, how much you asking of me, God? As we come to our text this morning, you see Pastor James, our brother, he's writing to a group of believers who are scattered throughout various regions. They're not only scattered, but they're experiencing trials. They're experiencing hardships and temptations, as we heard in the previous sermons. So if there was a time to listen, to respond and obey to God's word, this was that time. Obedience was precious. It was valuable to the preservation of your life. And so I believe this text this morning, the, the, the main thought God is telling us, he, he's calling his beloved to respond accordingly to his word in every season of our life. You think about it, when these brothers and sisters receive this letter and this instruction, 
They were probably like, you know what, James, you know, this really ain't the time. <laughs> Do you really know what I've been going through? And you mean to tell me you want me to yield all of my life to God's word? Yes. And he's telling us the same this morning. And as we explore our way through this passage, I, I, I want us to see just three ways how we are to respond to God's word. The first way God is calling us to respond to his word is by accepting his word. We got to start just, we got to start by accepting his word. You see, the, the acceptance of God's word, that's, it's evident of a teachable heart. It, it's hard for us to be teachable when we just, we quick to run our mouths. That's why James say, be quick to listen. Be slow to speak. And this wasn't just something that he was calling out the extroverts in the time. You know, you extroverts, y'all talk a lot. Y'all need to just, you know, kind of tone it down. This, this wasn't an extrovert or introvert thing. This wasn't a male versus female. We hear those stereotypes as well. I, I actually came across an article in uh, NPR, and I was curious. I was just curious, like, how many words do we speak a day? In fact, they said both men and women speak the same amount of words, 16,000 a day. Maybe more, maybe less, you know what I'm saying, depending on the context. So it's interesting. He said, let every person, everybody who's ever reading this be slow to speak, quick to hear. Because God knows we are full of words. But he's reminding us that sometimes our words, our mouth can be a hindrance to accepting his word. It can be a hindrance to really hearing what he has to say to us. In times of trials, our hearts can be prone to doubting the love of God. They can be prone to fearing the unknown. We can swell up with pride within ourselves of, of wanting to control our circumstances. And so these inward battles that we have, it manifests themselves towards other people. And so James telling us to be slow to anger because he knows in high stress situations, we could be quick-tempered, just get away from me, irritable. We could be uh, having complaining hearts. We could be argumentative with the very people who are trying to give us a word of truth, who are trying to love us and remind us who God is. You see, our many words can be problematic to the point that we have this unrighteous anger towards one another. But it's important, it's important to make a note that James isn't saying, hey, Christian, don't be angry at all. There's a place for unrighteous, I'm sorry, there's a place for righteous anger. But he's calling out the unrighteous anger that we have towards a brother or a sister. And if you think about James, even his literary form, it, it echoes the Proverbs even. And Proverbs pick up on this. Chapter 10, verse 19 it says, when words are many, transgressions is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent or wise. So in other words, we need to be discerning about what we're saying and how we're saying it. You see, our culture today, y'all hear this, probably see this on social media. It's, it's speak your mind. Whatever you feel, say it. Everybody's entitled to their opinion. 
And I'm all for that. Don't get me wrong. Don't hear me say that I'm against, you know, freedom of speech. I'm, I'm very grateful of that. Uh, I've probably been, uh, I've benefited from that. We all have benefited from that. But we got to be careful not to fall into those lies that whatever that's on our heart, at any given time, we could just speak it however we want to speak it. You see, God is calling us to live countercultural. You see, his kingdom people have, have a different instructions, different guidelines that we're living by. He say, be slow to speak. And James is giving an important word to these first century believers. I mean, think about it. They're living in a new normal. They probably experience significant loss, family, or possessions, and they probably feel hopeless. Does that sound familiar? Living in a new normal, experiencing significant loss, and feeling hopeless. You see, if the pandemic taught us anything this past year and a half, almost, almost two years, is this. We need to do less talking and more listening to what God has to say for us. We need to do more listening and less talking so that we can hear what God has to say to us. It's so many distractions around us. And we give ourselves to these things unconsciously. But God is telling us, especially in a time of hardship, to be quick to listen, to be quick to hear. We need to be honest with these things, with these feelings that we feel. But God is telling us to, to take those to him. And, but not only that, once we find ourselves going down this path of being cynical and, and angry, short-tempered, he's telling us to throw off. To, to, to put away the filth and the wickedness, the rampant wickedness that comes with these, these mindsets, that comes with these depositions of our hearts. He said, throw away those filthy clothes. That ain't you. That's not your identity. That's not what I called you to. But instead, to put on some new clothes. As Galatians 5 tells us, the, these clothes by the Spirit, they're not made by polyester or, or cotton or whatever other fabric you can think of of what you got on. But these, these fabrics is, is woven by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. So James saying, brothers and sisters, I understand what you're going through, but that doesn't excuse you for orienting your life, for yielding your life to accepting God's word. He tell us we are to respond by accepting his word. The second way we see James telling us to respond to God's word in verses 22 to 25 is by acting on his word. Look with me in verses 22. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Don't be doers. I'm sorry. Don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. And so if I could put it in my own translation, this is just me. This ain't the Bible. You won't find this nowhere on the Internet. Listening ain't enough. Like listening only, hearing only, it ain't enough. See, James cautions us again about self-deception. We heard this in the previous uh, chapters when he first warned us, telling us, don't be deceived. But every good and perfect gift is from the Father above. And now he tells his beloved, 
don't be deceived or don't deceive yourself by just being hearers of the word and not just doers of the word. And so this, this word, this word deceive, it gives this idea of, of finding a way around the truth. You, 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 you do whatever you got to do instead of embracing the truth and, and acting on the truth. You see, some of us, we've been to plenty of conferences. We heard, you know, way better teachers and speakers than myself uh, talk about different things of the Christian life. We heard preachers preach uh, very great sermons. We listen to podcasts and other Christian thinkers or Christian theologians and scholars. But what good does those great opportunities, those great lessons or sermons, what good do those do if you don't act on what's being communicated? We deceive ourselves. In other words, God's saying, you're deceiving yourself to think that it's good that, hey, the epitome, the success, the fruitfulness of the Christian life is me just to take in all this information, but I ain't doing nothing with it. Your life don't look any different. Brothers and sisters, we got to be honest. We're deceiving ourselves. But God doesn't want us to, to stay there. And so he, he gives this other analogy of what this looks like, like the person in, in verses 43, I'm sorry, 23 and 25. It's the, it's the person who looks at themselves in the mirror and see their natural face. But he looks at himself, he goes away and wants to forget what he looks like. In other words, this person is looking at himself or herself in the mirror Maybe they got some of their teeth. Maybe they need to fix some of their hair. It's, it's something that's, that's wrong with them. But they walk away and forget what they even look like. They didn't make any necessary adjustments to their face. When I think about this, this thought of deception, looking in the mirror is not my problem. And I ain't saying that to be prideful, uh, to be arrogant. But looking in the mirror is not my problem. My problem is going to the doctor. Um, I actually got an appointment tomorrow. It's an annual wellness checkup. Uh, pray for me um, that everything goes well. But if you can relate, going to the doctor, it's pretty predictable. You know, um, you go in, you know, you sign in, you wait for like, you know, 30, 45 minutes. Hey, shout out to all the doctors in here. There's no shade, but I'm just, I'm just sharing my experience. Uh, you wait for a significant amount of time, and they call you back. Hey, Mr. Henderson, you know, come back. I'm like, all right, step on the scale. They weigh me, they see how tall I am, they do the blood pressure test, and then you go back to the room, and a doctor asks you a series of questions. Uh, they take your blood to check for any kind of illnesses and things like that. All of these things I'm grateful for, right? You sit back in the room, the doctor leaves, I'm like, okay, uh, all right. They come back in, they give a report. They say, hey, Mr. Henderson, you know, we noticed this. Um, you know, maybe you can cut back on the salty food. Like, okay, yeah. You're right. Um, you know, maybe you can lose a, a few pounds. I'm like, okay, doc. Like, I thought I was fairly healthy, but, you know, okay. You went to school for this. You're the expert. So, you know, I'll take your word. But so many times I leave the doctor's appointment, and I, and I take their advice kind of loosely with a grain of salt, as if they didn't spend several years in medical school <laughs> dealing with the anatomy and, and biology and things like that. And I say, you know what? If I get around to it, on my way to the store, get a bag of chips or whatever, you know, um, pride, deception. And we have that same heart 
towards God. You see, when a doctor revealed to us, knowing that ain't none of us in this room were perfectly healthy, so there's some things that they expose. You see, God's word is it's the mirror of our souls, and it shows the wickedness of our heart. It shows how sinful we are. It, it, it shows our, our shortcomings. Not in a way to just to, 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 to smush into your face and uh, to, to degrade you, but it's to be honest with you. So what good is it for us to look at the Bible, to read God's instructions as it's telling us the real of who we are and the world we live in, and for us to say, you know what, I think I know, I know better than you, God. I'm all right if I get around to it. And we make no adjustments whatsoever. It's deception. And so God is telling us, don't just be hearers. You hear the information, but don't do anything with it. He wants us to be doers of God's word. And so that conviction that comes when you read certain passages that hit close to home, don't, don't reject that conviction from the Spirit. Accept it. He wants to show something in your life that you probably got blind spots to. But not just that. He want to do something with you. He want to correct that. He want to speak truth into that particular area. Let me be honest with y'all. Commend yourself to not only accepting God's word, but acting on God's word, being a doer of God's word, it's not a popular lifestyle. It's a very uncomfortable lifestyle at times. Joyful in a lot of ways, don't get me wrong, but it's, it's uncomfortable. Let me, let me come into your driveway a little bit. Those of you who are in high school right now, you're following Christ. You're committing your life to him. You're doing your best. It's hard to be a doer of God's word when you're being teased about your celibacy. When all your friends are pressuring you to, to, to lose your virginity, to, to, to commit to having sex before marriage outside of God's beautiful design of marriage. But you're saying, no, I know what my mama been teaching me. I, I know what I've read in the Bible, and I want to act on that. I want to be a doer of God's word. Sometimes it can be discouraging, but I want to encourage you to press on, brother and sister. That, that, that's the blessed life. Sometimes it's hard when you're at a job and you got colleagues and they thrive off of unethical business moves. And you see the result. You see the residual effects. But knowing that ain't right, God didn't call me to live and to work like that. He called me whatever I do, eat or drink, do it all for his glory. You see, being a doer is uncomfortable sometimes. Even this. You have a, a racist family member, a sexist family member, and they so quick to just throw out these uh, inappropriate jokes and comments, and you feel something swelling up in your heart, and you know that that's not right. You know they're not honoring the, the image bearers that God has, has made. You know that's not loving, and you call them out because you want to be a doer of God's word. You want to act. On God, you want to be faithful to God's word. Brothers and sisters, God is, is, is very pleased with that. That's the blessed life. These are sentiments. These are, 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 are echoes of, of Jesus' words in the gospel. Do you remember? He said, the man who, who listens to my word but walk away and does nothing to it or does nothing with it, he's like the man 
that built his, his, his house on sand. And when the storms of life came, it shook their house and mighty was a fall. That was a foolish man. But the wise man or woman is the person that hears Jesus' words, act on them, put them to practice. That person is like the person building their house on rock. And when the storms of life came and it beat on that house, it withstands. That's the wise person. That's what it looks like to be a doer of God's word, to act on his word. And so we must approach God's word in every season of life. God, show, show me. Give me the strength. Get, give me the humility to receive your word with meekness and not just that, to act accordingly to your word. So Christ has given us a new identity in himself. He's given us a new freedom within itself. And this came at a cost. We're, we're only able to be doers of God's word because what he has accomplished on the cross. You see, if it was left to us, up to us, we'll follow every inclination of our, of our heart. But Jesus came and he lived amongst us. And he showed us how to be a perfect doer of God's word. But he also showed us, hey, I know that you won't do this perfectly. That's why I had to come. That's why I had to die in your place. But the beauty of it, you get my righteousness in exchange for your unrighteousness. And so I don't know if many of you hearing those, and yeah, Artez, I heard that. I get it. But do we really get it? Do we really understand the blessings it is to receive that good news? And our, our, our hearts, it changes from do I have to to, man, I get to. <laughs> See, it's a privilege to obey and follow the Lord. But we are nothing and we are weak within ourselves, but we are powerful by the Spirit and His power. So we accept, his God, we, we accept God's Word. We act on God's Word. But lastly, James teaches us we, we apply God's Word specifically. Verses 26 through 27. James tells us in verse 26, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person, religious religion is worthless. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. See, James don't have a problem calling out empty religion. And he gives this contrast between worthless religion and pure and undefiled religion. And I want us to deal with these two and just unpack what does that look like. See, many people today, you know, probably some of you guys who are, are listening, you struggle with that. You know, we hear this, ah, religion, I don't know about religion, but I got a relationship with God. I can't stand religious people. And so you have this argument of, you know, is religion even good? And I don't have time to unpack the, the different nuances in that, but I, I want the text to, to speak for itself. It's different when you hear religion in the Western modern world. You see, most of the time when the Bible addressed religion, really only four times when you use that particular word, three out of the four times is actually in a negative sense. 
And so to some of us in our sentiments about religion, we're like, uh, I don't know. James, he, he, he rocking with you to a certain extent. You see, the worthless religion, if we make the contrast, it's the person who can't control their tongue. It's the, the person who's full of gossip, slander. They're arrogant, judgmental, very critical, and unloving. And I will go as far to say, this person probably have no conviction over their tongue. And James is going to address this later. If you come back in a couple Sundays, I think, we're going to talk about the, the power of the tongue. But this religion is worthless because it's all about outward appearances. It's all about doing the right things. It's all about, going. I went to church. I read my Bible. I tithe. Gave to the poor. I'm serving on all these different committees. It's, it's all about the, the external. It's just me and God, and it excludes everyone else. And those things aren't inher- inherently within themselves sinful. So please be engaged. Please serve and, and do those things in a church. But the religion becomes worthless when the, the inward reality doesn't affect what you're the, the in reality doesn't affect what you're doing hourly. In other words, why are you really motivated to do those things? Is it just about you to look pious, to look polished, to look very spiritual? But you have no regard for your neighbor. You have no regard for the least of these. It's probably you. You probably know someone like this. You, this is probably your life. But God showed you what was real. But then James talks about the better religion. The better religion is it's this religion that's birthed from a real relationship with God, with Christ. It's, it's this religion that's not driven by man's approval, but it's motivated because of God's approval. I mean, look at the text, y'all. It says, religion that is pure, verse 27, and undefiled before God. That, that's, a, that's a very important word, before God. It's not before men, it's before God. So when God is our motivation, men is like the oh, men and women. They're, they're the benefactors of our devotion and our surrenderance to God. That's pure and undefiled religion. But it goes on. He, he say this, this, this pure, undefiled religion is other-centered. And he gives us a specific ways how do we apply this pure and undefiled religion. Who do he have in mind? The least of these. The marginalized. In this context, and to a certain extent, the modern context, widows and orphans. See, James is, is challenging us to demonstrate that our religion, our relationship with Christ, it motivates us, it pushes us out to be intentional about others. And it's interesting he, he mentioned these two particular people groups because these two particular people groups, when you give your time to them, when you do life, when you minister to them, when you loving on them and mutual, it's not just one way, it, 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 doesn't, it can't give you a raise at your job. It's not flattering on social media. Um, you rarely get anything in return, hopefully encouragement from them. But this idea that this pure, undefiled religion, it motivates us to think other-centered with orphans and widows and 
he also said this, that we're called to visit them. And again, maybe this worth of religion and say, hey, I just kind of get my money and I'm out the way. You know, I just kind of check it off the, off the box. But don't even take the time to really try to engage with that person. Hear their story, right? You know, so many times we come in and service ministry opportunities, mercy ministry, if you will, with a savior uh, complex. I'm here to save this person. They need me. Instead of looking at that person as an image bearer, in a lot of ways, we need them. <laughs> I mean, in a lot of ways, we all identify with the orphan and the widow. If you want to get real spiritually. We, 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 we desperately needed the father to adopt us into his family. We, 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 we're the, we need Christ, the bridegroom. He calls us the church, his bride. And so as we think about being doers of God's word, this, in a way, is putting feet to our faith to walk it out. And so as we examine our lives this morning, I, I pray that this is not one of those other times in the past in which you probably heard the songs being sang, the prayers being prayed, and the word being preached, and you walk away. Man, that was a good time at church. But not stop and, God, and ask God, would you, would you illuminate? Would you just shine your light? Give me one thing that I can take that next step. And I know, I know it's hard. I know some of y'all didn't even want to come to church today. Because this past weekend, this past week, this past month, this past year, but I'm glad you came. James is giving a word to these first century believers who were experiencing some hardships. But God is also speaking to us and saying, brothers and sisters, the blessed life, the fruitful life is to be quick to listen, to be slow to speak, and to be slow to anger. And not just that, as we hear God's perfect, eternal instructions, to yield our life to that, to act accordingly. And not only that, he gives us some clear applications. Have the least of these in mind. And one thing that's cool about our church, we just talked about this at our congregational meeting, is that we have a missions committee. Uh, Wayne and Justice, they know of specific partners um, in our city that we can engage with, because oftentimes these opportunities that just don't come up on the step of our doors and somebody knocking like, hey, would you come? We got to go out. We got to be intentional. We got to rearrange some stuff on our schedules. So what would it look like downtown church for us to be men and women, boys and girls, to say, yes, God, I'm listening. Yes, God, I want to do. Yes, God, show me who. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you. We love you for your patience towards us. That so many times we are full of anger. So many times we are slow to obey because of pride. And so I, I do ask that you will humble us. I do ask that you will meet us where we are by your grace. And to give us the strength, the wisdom, the perseverance to live in light of what you have instructed us to do. 
to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to, to, to love our neighbor as ourselves. And God, make that clear. And in the meantime, I pray we just do something. Sometimes we ain't got the right motives, but we trust that you will work those things out in due time. Thank you. We love you because you first loved us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we leave this place, knowing that we have a job to do, and that is to proclaim the very word that was preached to our hearts. So will you receive the benediction now? May the God who has granted us all peace, all power,